Well, today we are continuing in our And Jesus series, where we are walking through Romans chapters 12 through 15. And what we're going to do today is we're going to do all of Romans 14. So if you brought a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 14. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we always have paper copies back on the Give and Grow table. You're free to pick one of those up and use it. If you don't own a Bible, you're free to take that home. That would be our gift to you. Also, at Riverwood, we use uh, our smartphones. So if you have a Bible on your phone, totally free free to pull it out of your pocket. Um, We're not going to accuse you of surfing Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest. I figure if you have to go to Facebook and Twitter, then I have failed to do my job because I think the the gospel of Jesus Christ and his scriptures is captivating enough that we can gladly set those things aside for a little bit of time so that we can focus on, on Jesus. So totally feel free to pull out your phone and use that this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire chapter, chapter 14 of Romans. And I realize that I'm, by doing so, I'm taking a risk. Because I know if I were sitting where you're sitting, and I heard some guy start reading some big, long passage, my mind would start to wander. I'd start thinking about, like, what am I going to do this afternoon? You know, what, what am I going to do this? Or you start thinking about, like, why did that person wear that shirt? Or, oh, she looks really cute in that. Or, oh, I got to do this. You know, your mind's going to start going everywhere. I think today is going to be really, really challenging. And so I'm going to invite you, stay with this today. Now, I'm going to just warn you, it's going to repeat itself a little bit. But I think that repetition has a purpose. I think Paul really wants us to hear something. And for some of us, it's going to make us uncomfortable. And so we need to kind of tune in and hear what God has for us this morning. So let me read Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ 
is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Join me in prayer. So Heavenly Father, we have now heard the reading of these holy scriptures. And you have things here that you have embedded that have gone beyond just for one time. The truths here pertain to us even today in 2018. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you want to say to us. And, And I pray, Father, right now for anyone who will find themselves shifting, getting uncomfortable, because some of what we're going to hear, it's going to push back on some of what we believe. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts what you need to say and want to say. God, I pray that this goes beyond what I've prepared. I pray that you would do the the supernatural, that you would touch the heart of each and every person that's here. Because some people are walking in here, they're not quite sure about this whole Jesus thing. There's other people who walked in here and they've been following you for a long, long time. Some of us, we're bringing in baggage, whether it be from our past week or from our past uh, just life. Uh, Some of us, we're walking in on, on cloud nine. Things are going fantastic in life. God, no matter where we are at, would you right now help each and every one of us to hear from you, the living God, that you would challenge us because you want to make us more and more like Christ. So, Father, I pray you'd help us to shake off anything that would try to distract us today so that we could be in tune with you and hear what your Holy Spirit wants to say and needs to say to us. And I pray, Father, that every heart in here would take a step closer to you. Pray for the person right now who who does not know you yet that through this message, they would hear something that would remind them and show them how much you love them, that Jesus died for their sin, and that they are welcomed into a relationship with you. And I pray for the person here who's really been struggling, that, that your words would be a comfort to them, and they would find themselves just sensing that you are God, you are good, you are in control, and they can trust you, even in the uncomfortableness of life. And Father, for the person who is too comfortable, I pray that you would convict them today, that they would feel challenged And they would walk out of here with just this renewed conviction to follow you. So God, this is your day. Do in us what you want to do and need to do. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. I remember where I was the very first time I heard a sermon on the topic of conscience. And that's, I think, unique because I have heard probably thousands of sermons in my life, given hundreds of them myself. And yet I probably only remember, ah, you know, a dozen or two dozen, like not that many. And, And what makes this one particular sermon on conscience so memorable isn't that it was given in a great delivery. Actually, the, the delivery really wasn't very good at all. It wasn't that I was in some amazing environment that just wowed me. Actually, it was kind of a little bit of an uncomfortable place. No, the reason this sermon sticks out in my mind is because as I was listening to it, the longer this guy talked, the more uncomfortable I became. The setting was down in Venezuela. My wife and I were serving at Christensen Academy, a a, uh, school for the kids of missionaries. And we would hold 
services in English on Sunday mornings because there was a number of short-term staff who would come in and we didn't know Spanish. And so we would hold English services so that everyone could kind of hear and, and be able to worship, which meant we didn't have a pastor of this church. We would just have the various staff from the school who take turns teaching. But every once in a while, we would invite one of the parents of our kids. Our students were boarding students. And so sometimes a parent would come in to visit their, their child for a weekend. And sometimes if we knew in advance, we might ask them. Or there was a handful of parents who actually lived within the community. The particular sermon I'm talking about was delivered by a dad. Uh, he had three kids in the school. And he's his, he and his family actually lived in the community. And so their kids didn't board with us, but they attended the school and were right there. The dad was a seminary professor. He taught in the, the seminary that was in a nearby town, a, a nearby city. And so we asked him to deliver this message. Now, like a, sorry if you're an academic, don't be insulted by this, but he was like a typical academic type person, meaning kind of on the quieter side, his teaching was a little on the monotone side. Like there was nothing remarkable about how he delivered this message. All I remember, though, is sitting right there up in the front row because I had led the, the worship, the music that morning. And so I'm sitting there in the front row and the more this guy talked, the more uncomfortable I became. Any of you ever experienced that? Like you're hearing someone talk, and the more they talk, just, you start to cringe inside. Like maybe it's when you watch Fox News or CNN, and they start interviewing someone, and the more they spout their opinion, the more you just like, oh, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Or, or like you watch a YouTube video, or you listen to a podcast, and someone has just some wacky beliefs, and you're listening to it, you're like, oh, I just, I can't take it. If you've never had that experience, today just might be your lucky day. Because I am going to give you some of the exact same things that I heard 20 years ago that made me so uncomfortable. Because some of what you're going to hear today is going to sound unfair. It's going to sound inconsistent. It's going to sound like it goes directly against some of the theology that maybe some of you were taught when you were little kids. But what I hope is that as you start thinking about this idea of our conscience and how do we bring Jesus into it to be Jesus-centered people, you'll start to see that that unfairness is actually a gift to us from God. And God is actually going to use that unfairness and inconsistency, this uncomfortableness, to move us into a place where we start to become willing to sacrifice our rights, where we become willing to give grace, where we become willing to live within the gray, all because of Jesus. So we're going to get going. Our first point today is this. We need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to sacrifice. Look down at verse 21 with me there in Romans 14. Paul writes, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That word stumble is in this passage like three different times. Paul, when he would write his letters, sometimes would use this imagery of a walk. Like as you're growing spiritually, he would call it like your spiritual walk. And it's the idea of like you're walking this path with Jesus, like towards Christ likeness. But as you're walking this path, he's saying, don't do something that puts a big rock in the path and causes them to trip, causes them to stumble. In other words, you need to remove that rock or to put it in this way, you need to be willing to sacrifice. But you got to realize in order for you to sacrifice something, it means you first have to have something or at least the ability to attain that something. Like for instance, if I were to say, I, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice a 2018 BMW. 
I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous because first of all, I don't have a 2018 BMW, nor do I have the financial means to obtain a, a BMW. Right, so I could go around like, oh, yeah, I'm so holy. I'm sacrificing a BMW. And you'd just be able to scoff at me because like, eh, yeah, Aaron, you're not giving anything up. However, I do have a really awesome 2003 Toyota Camry. I love my little car. I even like the dent in the front left fender. That way, when my kid starts driving at 16, if he puts more dents in it, it's okay. He didn't do the first one. Now, I could sacrifice that. I could like sell it and give the proceeds to some really great cause. I could actually donate the vehicle to someone who has a greater need to, to drive a vehicle than I. Because, you know, we have two vehicles, a minivan and this car. Maybe someone has nothing. So I could sacrifice that. You can't sacrifice something that you don't already have or at least have the ability to attain it. What Paul is talking about here in Romans 14 is not material possessions. He's talking about rights. And he's saying that if you follow Jesus, you have certain rights to things. And he actually points out three of them. I think there's way more than that, but he points out three. The first one is food. You have a right to food. Verse two, he says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. All right. So in other words, if you want to eat meat, eat meat. If you want to be a vegetarian, be a vegetarian. By the way, do you know how you can recognize a vegetarian or a vegan? You just wait, they'll tell you, all right? So, sorry if you are a vegetarian or uh, vegan, but it's true. Uh, you know, if you want to eat this, go ahead. If, if you don't want to eat it, that's fine too. You have a right, though, to this food. Well, except for Tide Pods. I, I don't think you should eat those. Um, that, that's just stupid. All right, so food. You have a right to food. Second, you have a right to celebrate holidays. You have a right to celebrate holidays. Look down in verse 5 says that one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. When Leanne and I were living in Denver, Colorado, uh, some friends of ours from college, uh, a young married couple, were, he was from the Denver area. So they happened to be back over the Christmas holidays. They, they were living in Australia at the time. So th they came back to the U.S., uh, visiting his parents there in Denver. So they called us up, and so we, we got together. And we ended up actually going to the house of our, our friend's parents. So I remember we're sitting there eating dinner. I think later we played cards. And as we're eating dinner, just catching up, talking about life, it dawns on me that it's Christmas time, and yet I'm looking around this house, and I don't see a single, like, Christmas tree. I, I don't see any Christmas decorations. I don't even see like a, a light strand put out in some like weak little attempt to dec decorate for Christmas. Like there was nothing. And so I asked. It turns out that about a year and a half before, this couple had ended up joining a Messianic Jew congregation. They believed fully that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, rose again from the dead. But they wanted to seek out and honor the Jewishness of Jesus and, and understand what it was the Old Testament, how all of that led up to Christ. And so they intentionally chose to celebrate the Jewish feasts, like Passover, the uh, tabernacle, all of those. And yet things like the cultural ones, like Christmas, Easter, they completely ignored. Whereas here at Riverwood, we kind of make a big deal about Christmas. Like, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. We make a really, really, really big deal about Easter. The fact that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He rose again from the dead. We worship a risen, living Savior. So they have a right to not celebrate Christmas and Easter, but we have a right to celebrate it. In fact, Paul even goes on in there and says, and if you just want to see every day is the same, you have that right as well. Then he gives us one more. So food, holidays, and then drink. 
You have a right to drink. This one is kind of hidden in here. Uh, Verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 21, he says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So he spends most of his time talking about food and holidays and just kind of slips in this idea of drinking wine. But I feel like in our day and age, this is the bigger issue. Because... I've had a few conversations with people about food. I've had a handful of conversations about holidays, but I've had a ton of conversations about alcohol. I mean, loads of them. Like, like you can't even combine food and holidays and it even come close to the number of conversations I've had about drinking. This is the bigger issue in our day because there are some Christians who are convinced that if you have even one sip of wine, you're going to lose your salvation. God cannot let you into heaven. In fact, when I was, uh, uh, Leanne and I were raising our funds to go to Venezuela to that school I told you about, we were working part-time jobs as we were doing our fundraising. And I became a school photographer for about three, four-month time period. And I was driving, it was early in my, my time with this little company, and I'm driving out with this gal who, she worked for this company I, 15, 20 years. She'd, she'd been with them for quite a while. And as we're driving out, she's trying to get to know the new guy. And so she uh, starts asking me questions. It doesn't take very long to figure out that Leanne and I are, are Christians. We're headed on the mission field. And she got all excited because she too was a Christian. But so incredibly rapidly, the conversation shifted from, oh, wow, you're a Christian. You're, you're going on the mission field. That's awesome, to What do you believe about drinking? Because for her, if you had even one sip of wine, that was a sin. And if you sinned, you were in danger of not getting into heaven because God can't let sinful people into his presence. Now, contrast that to my experience down in Kansas City. Some of you know that my family moved to Kansas City for about one year to learn about church planning, the idea of, you know, finding our community in Iowa where we could plant a church, now Riverwood. But that year down there, one of the spouses for one of the staff members said, Aaron, before you leave, before this year is up, you are going to get a tattoo and you are going to drink a beer. Now, they were wrong on both accounts. I, I just don't like th- the taste of beer. So I figured, why put it in my mouth? You know? But I also used to love Mountain Dew. And now I can't stand Mountain Dew either. So again, why would I put it in my mouth? But that, they were totally fine with it. In fact, when we did our staff retreat, we went out to this really nice restaurant. And I think almost everyone except me and maybe two or three other people didn't have an alcoholic beverage in front of me. And yet they were planting a church. And the way they put it was to help people find their way back to God. They were passionate about helping people connect with God to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And yet they were totally fine with cracking open a beer. So you got one hand, someone, uh-uh, nope, you cannot do it. That's a sin. And someone else going, you kidding? God gave this to us. We should enjoy. It is obvious, whether it's the 21st century or the 1st century, that there is a wide range of opinions about food, holidays, drinking. I could go on. Music, movies fashion. There is so much out there. How in the world do you even begin to move forward when these opinions are so wide-ranging? Paul tells us, look at verse 6, Romans 14, verse 6. He says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. In other words, whatever you do, do it for God. And so if you want to enjoy a steak, 
May it cause you to worship God. May you thank him for this. If you choose to be a vegetarian, may you be doing that to honor God. If you want to enjoy a glass of wine, you do that to thank God for the fruit of the vine. But if you need to say no to it, then it's a reminder to you that you don't have to engage in alcoholic drinking to, in order to be, you know, find joy in life. That your joy is found in Jesus. Whatever you do, do it for God. Do it to honor him. Now, Paul does put on here a, a, a handful of caveats. First of all, um, if you look at the whole context of Scripture, while you have the right to these things, you don't have a right to over-engage in these things. Right? To eat way too much, that's called gluttony. The scriptures are pretty clear that that is a sin. That's, that's not good for you in your relationship with God. If all you do is think about, dream about food, if, if that's what it becomes about, you've now replaced God with food. That's become your idol. That's become your God. So pretty much every meal becomes your worship experience, and it becomes about the food. Now it's a sin. You're not doing it to honor God. You're doing it to honor yourself in a way. And, and so you can't overindulge or, or to drink too much. That's called drunkenness. The scriptures are very clear. You are to be controlled by the spirit, not by alcohol. And so if you, you, you can't just engage in it, like, well, God gave it to us. Yeah, yeah, he gave it to you, but not to abuse. It's the same with the holidays. If you just go about engaging in the cultural holidays of, of our country, and yet you don't do it in any way, shape, or form to honor Christ, it, it's a sin. You're just using it for your own pleasure instead of using it to draw attention to God. And so you can't overdo it. You can't ignore Christ in it. That's, that's the first caveat. The second one is this, that you have a right to these things unless your conscience uh, says you can't have it, unless your conscience just won't allow it. Notice uh, verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. All right, so in, in, in other words, it, it's all good. It all goes. But then listen to what he says. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. When I was a kid, somehow I became convinced that drinking alcohol was a sin. So as a kid, I made a vow to never drink alcohol. Well, once I got up into my 30s, I started thinking, you know, that was a childlike vow. You know, everyone around me drinks. Maybe I'll make more people feel comfortable if I drink. So I thought, all right, I'm going to give it a try. Well, it turned out I didn't like the stuff. So why drink it? But also, as I was trying to enjoy it, I found I couldn't. My conscience wouldn't allow it. And yet, I had no problem when I was in Kansas City to go over to a friend's house, then pull out a beer, and they'd offer me one. No, I'm good. Thanks. And I was totally fine. If your conscience won't allow you to do it, you can't do it. It is then a sin for you, even if it's not for someone else. I know that sounds so unfair, but we're going to get to that in just, just a minute. But you, you can do it if your conscience won't allow, allow you to. This, I think, comes from, um, if we study the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul addresses this issue. Uh, if some of you that heard our message a couple weeks ago, um, a lot of scholars believe that Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome in 56 AD. He was in the city of Corinth at the time. Well, later we know that he left Corinth and was traveling on and then was writing letters back to Corinth. And if you go into Corinthians, you'll see him address this exact same issue, but he even goes into greater detail. It turns out that some of the people there in Corinth, they heard this gospel that Paul was preaching. They believed it. They believed the whole story of Jesus, the son of God come to earth, lived a sinless life, but went and died a sinner's death for them. 
They gave their life to this. And so they left their cult. They left their former religion to become Jesus followers. But their former religion would incorporate certain aspects, certain practices, certain rituals, some of which included eating certain meats, certain foods, or having certain drinks in that temple. That was part of your worship. And so now here they were free in Christ, but anytime they went back to have like some food, to them it felt as if they were going back and worshiping. And so their conscience couldn't allow for it. It really, really began to bother them. And so for them, it was a sin. And so he's saying, hey guys, all food's clean. If you want to enjoy a steak, have at it. But if that eating a steak is going to remind you of this, and that's going to lead you into just like tripping up in your mind and your heart, don't do it. It's not for you. And then one more that Paul gives us. Uh, that you have this right, but you also have the right to give up your right. All throughout this, he's talking about, hey, don't make someone else stumble. And so, yes, you have a right to drink. But if your drinking is going to cause someone else to stumble in their walk with Jesus, give it up. You may have the right, but you also have the right to give up your right. Paul, um, excuse me, Paul writing this to the people in Rome. Uh, Rome, it, you know, this church is, is building, it's going. This is the epicenter of the Roman Empire. And so all sorts of people end up coming into Rome. And he's saying to them, hey, if your brother or sister in this part of the church, if they have a problem with this meat that was sacrificed to an idol, don't invite them over for a barbecue. All right? Like, if you're going to pull out the grill, like, grill asparagus. You know, like, don't put on hamburger. Like, for their sake, don't do it. Which means you may have no problem at all having a drink. But if someone within your family, someone within your church family, some of your coworkers that are followers of Jesus, if you know they have a problem with it, then when you invite them over, stick it in the garage. Like, get, get it out of the house for their sake. Yes, you have a right to it. But because you love them, you give it up. And that actually begins to lead us into our second point today. Because... Mistakes are going to be made, which is why we need this next point. We need to be willing to give grace. We need to be willing to give grace. Join me in uh, Romans 14, verses 3 and 4. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is basically saying, uh, hey, hey, hey guys, t team meat, uh, team vegan, you're actually the same team. You've got the same coach. You, you guys all follow Jesus. So don't get into this opinionated fight about whether you can eat meat or not, because when you're seeking to honor God in it, it's okay for both of you. But sometimes you don't always know. You may invite someone over to your house. Turns out that they don't, now let's just make something up. We'll just say they, they don't eat pork. You didn't know. Next thing you know, you're, you're trying to say, hey, you want a pork tenderloin, pork barbecue? And they're like cringing inside. If that's you, you just serve what's set before you. You, you, you give some grace. They didn't know. They weren't trying to be offensive. You give them some grace. Now, now, this doesn't mean that you can abuse the grace. 
You, you don't, you know, someone come to your house and they're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got a problem with drinking. And you don't say, oh, I don't, so give me some grace. You know, I'm going to indulge. No, 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 no. For their sake, you sacrifice. But if you look at someone else and they have a different opinion of, from you on that particular subject, like, let, let's pick movies. Let's say you have this rule, like no rated R movies, like just absolutely not, cannot do it. And yet someone else, like they're enjoying it. Rather than sit in judgment over them, give them grace. Let's just say that you are right. Let's say that your opinion is actually the correct one. This is where holiness is found. If you believe in a sovereign God, then you believe that that sovereign God brought you to this place and this understanding, and you're seeking to do this to honor him. And so if God is working in your life like this, you can trust him to work in their life. Maybe they're just not quite there yet. Maybe they're just not mature enough. Maybe God just hasn't shown them this yet. You don't need to play their judge and jury and advocate. You, you basically just go to them, love them, give them grace. If you see them seeking after Christ. Now, this does not mean that anything goes. I mean, cl clearly, the scriptures are clear. Like, for instance, if you are married, you cannot go out and just get another spouse. I don't care how attractive that other person is. I don't care how well you get along with them. The Bible says that marriage is one man, one woman for life. So you may not just go and start accumulating spouses like it's some sort of hobby. Because you can't say, but my conscience is clear. I, I can do this. This is how God made me. He made me with this capacity to love so many people. I, no, the scriptures are very, very clear on that. So where the scriptures are clear, there, there's, it's not a matter of, oh, it's a gray area, it's conscience. But when it comes to food, movies, Music, alcohol, it, it's kind of gray. And so we're going to have to give grace, which is then our third point. We have to be willing to live in the gray. We need to be willing to live in the gray. When my kids were little and growing up, we obviously had to start teaching them, you know, certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Like the right thing to do is to put the food in your mouth. The wrong thing to do is throw it in mommy's hair. Right? It's funnier to throw it in mommy's hair, but that's not the right thing to do. And so what they start learning is it's almost like this dualistic worldview. They start learning that there's right and there's wrong. I think that's what I carried into that first sermon I heard on conscience. Because I saw God as a very consistent God, which he is, a very just God, which he is. But that dualistic mindset kept me from realizing that God could be the God of someone who would be fine drinking a beer and the God of someone like me who couldn't drink the beer. That's what seemed so unfair. That's what seemed so inconsistent. But I think God, in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, has allowed the gray to remain because it's in the gray that we are forced to seek him. And that's when we start realizing what I need is not a beer. What I need is not another cookie. What I need is not Christmas. What I need is Jesus. And the grave forces us to continue to seek after him. It's, it's almost like what Satan intended for evil, to, to bring in this mess of sin. God has worked for good. He's using something to help us seek after him. Because I believe that if God prescribed every single thing, everything to the total letter, we would end up trusting in the law and not the law giver. How do I know? <laughs> because I've read the Old Testament. Like if you just start back in Genesis and you just start reading through it, you'll see time and time again, God has given the people a law. Here's what they're to do. But they stop chasing after the law giver and they just make it about the law. And that's why Isaiah wrote this. Isaiah 29 verse 13. 
He says, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Yeah, they were, they were doing the law. They were living in the black and white world. And yet they were not chasing after God. When we find ourselves living in the cloudy gray, it forces us to have to trust him to, in a sense, take his hand and allow him to lead us and guide us. And yeah, that means we come to a place where we start becoming convicted about one way we're living. This is how I need to be. And someone else may be in a different place. We have to be willing to live in the gray. We have to be willing to continue to pursue after Jesus in this. And that's our our fourth point, is that in this area of conscience, we need to be like Jesus. I believe that we don't do these things just simply to, like, impress God. I think that the reason we can sacrifice, the reason we can give grace, the the reason we can be comfortable in the gray is because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Notice what Paul wrote uh, to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves. In other words, this is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to live. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Now he's describing Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the son of God, which means he has the rights as God. And yet what's it say? He willingly set aside those rights for us. And not only did he set those rights aside to come down to take on human flesh, he even humbled himself to becoming obedient to death on a cross. He sacrificed his very life. Why? So that he could give us grace. And when we look at Christ and we see what God is wanting to do, he's wanting to mold us and shape us into that image of Jesus. God's goal is for you to love like Jesus loved and to live like Jesus lived. And if you're going to live that out, it means you have to be like Christ. It means you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to give grace, even in a gray world. That's the call. That is why we cannot sit in a seat of judgment over others, judging them because they don't eat the same things as us. They don't celebrate the same way we do. They drink certain things. They watch certain things we wouldn't watch. They dress certain ways we wouldn't dress. And we sit in judgment as if we are God. You know, what did God do? He humbled himself. He sacrificed to give us grace so that we might find life. Paul is going after unity. He even says it there in uh, verse um, 18 and 19. Sorry, guys, I I skipped. Don't don't worry about it. Verse 18 and 19, uh, he says this in Romans 14. He says, Whoever thus serves Christ and acceptable to God and approved by men, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. I don't know about you, but I want to experience peace in my relationships. I I, I want to have harmony in them. I, I don't want to be, you know, struggling with my wife. I don't want one of my kids to really not like me. I don't want to lead a church where people are doubting who I am and what I'm trying to do. I want to live in peace. In order for us to have that kind of peace, we have to give grace. We have to forgive them for what they've done. We have to, in a sense, let them off the hook and realize that God will take care of them. For our part, we need to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus 
lived. Let's not put a stumbling block in their way. Instead, let's do what we can to remove those stumbling blocks so that they have a path to Christ and may we come alongside of them. But for us to have that kind of peace means we have to be willing to sacrifice, to sacrifice our rights. It means we have to give them grace in the middle of this gray world because we are to be like Christ. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would accomplish your will in our lives. Lord, you want to make us look like Jesus. You want us to to sacrifice. You want us to give this grace. You want us to love the people around us. So God, I just pray right now that you'd help those of us who are very, very black and white, that, that we have lived in judgment of others because they're not doing it exactly the way we think they should. We just ask, Father, would you forgive us? You are the judge. You are the one who's in in control. Instead, Father, you call us to love. So help us to do that, to love fully because you've loved us fully. Father, I pray for anyone here who who just finds themselves uncomfortable. I pray that in the middle of that discomfort, they would turn to you. I pray, Father, that no one would walk out of here trying to change how they, they live just in their own power and strength. That instead, they would allow your Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them because you're seeking to to do something in us so that you can do something through us. Our relationships need this, God. So would you do this deep in us for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of of those who are parents, for, for those of us who go to work, for those of us who go to school, for even for our church family? Lord, would you make us grace filled people because you have given so much grace to us? And so, God, help us to not chase after the things of this world to chase after food, to chase after holidays and rest, to chase after drinking, to chase after all these things. Instead, if we need to, we can willingly give them up to glorify you and to help others. God, we want to live lives of worship. Whether that be to, to partake in something that, that brings joy to our hearts so that we worship you, or to be willing to say no to something because it's going to honor you. So God, that's why I realize I am speaking to a broad audience. And that's why, God, I just pray right now that you, through your Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts and minds of your people here. Father, I pray for the person who who doesn't know if they know you yet. And I pray that they would see that Jesus Christ gave his life for them. That the, the sin that keeps them disconnected from you has been paid for. And that, Jesus, you invite them into a relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray right now you'd hear their prayer as they, as they come to you, as they make you first in their life, as they give their life to you. Lord, I pray for the person in here who's estranged. Maybe they, they've known these truths since they were a, a kid, but their relationship with you is not good. They're doubting you and your goodness. You know, they, they, they wonder if you're even real, if you're present. I pray, Father, they would realize that you are still at work. You are with them. And I pray that right now as they're talking to you, you're bringing healing. Pray for the person who's struggling in a relationship because of some of these issues we just talked about. God, I pray that you bring healing. Where there has been too much judgment, would you help us to be willing to forgive? Would you help us to be this grace-filled people that you call us to be? And Jesus, we just want to say thank you. 
Thank you that you did all this already for us. You're not calling us to do something that you have not already done. You're not even calling us to go to the extent that you did. God, it's hard. That's why I ask that you'd give us your strength and your power. That we would rely on you to help us to do this. Because it's hard to sacrifice. It's hard to give grace sometimes. It's hard to live in a gray world. And yet you are God. You are good. You are sovereign. And you're with us. So Father, we pray that you would just continue your work in us. The benefit of our relationships to help change the world. Whether that be in our own home, in our neighborhood, at our workplace, at school, or even right here within our church family. So Father, as we come to the communion table. We're doing this to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. These elements remind us that Jesus, you gave it all up for us so that we might experience amazing grace. So as we take of that bread, we remember that is the body of Christ given for us. And as we take the cup, remember his blood was sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. May this simultaneously humble us and yet excite us. May we find ourselves weeping at your throne and yet laughing with joy because of who you are and what you've done and now what you want to do through us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we worship through communion now, this would be a, a, a conduit in us going and being used by you to change the world. That as we look at what Jesus did for us, it would motivate us to go and to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus loved. So, Father, I pray that you would just be honored and glorified as we take this, these elements together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.